Hello, I'm Paul Bristol and I'm working with the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network to find and share stories of community-led climate action. As we live through and continue to cope with the ongoing pandemic, there's been lots of talk around a new normal. For the first time, many of us have started to question what was so normal about how we lived before anyway. And there's an increased interest in the space where climate action meets social justice, a green and just recovery, universal basic income, ideas once out in the fringes, maybe finding their time. The next few months and years, we'll see a battle to frame and tell that story, to make those changes. We need to take this opportunity to show how what we've seen in these last few months can help us imagine better and continue to make the case for action on the climate emergency. And so I want to learn more. Sometimes it maybe feels like everyone's just ploughing their own furrow, out in the light, just getting on. But the collective effort across the country is remarkable. So over the next few months, I'm speaking to people and communities across Scotland to hear their stories of climate action, of hope and change. From big changes to small steps. I want to hear it all. And then together, we can look beyond the new norm to something better. As the summer wore on and things looked to be improving slightly, I optimistically booked myself out for a couple of days to go and visit the people and projects of Dunbar, famously one of the sunniest places in Scotland, the birthplace of conservationist John Muir, and one of Scotland's transition towns. As autumn arrived, though, it became clear my visit wasn't going to happen. But instead, I spent a couple of days virtually visiting folks in Dunbar. Some very kindly folks sent me lots of soundscapes to help me imagine myself there. These are some kitty wakes from Philip's back garden. And originally, I thought I might put together a podcast with wee snippets of everyone I spoke to, but gradually as I listened and chatted to folk, I felt that it would be better to let things unfold a little more naturally, to give folk a bit more time and space. There is, undoubtedly, something special about Dunbar. Like everywhere, its, it's history and its geography have shaped how it's developed, but it's the fact that it also seems to have shaped its response to the climate emergency that most interests me. And so over the next few episodes, we're going to hear more about just that from people living and working in the area. Sustaining Dunbar is the Community Development Trust at the heart of developing projects and programmes in the area. Joe McNamara is the Chair of the Board. Well, um, my involvement with Sustaining Dunbar goes back right to the, the very beginning of the, the organisation, back 12 years now, in, in 2008, um, at which point in time I was the community development worker in, in Dunbar. And I did that for 20 years, I recently retired. Um, and what interested me about Sustaining Dunbar was that it was an organisation that kind of brought together two um, sort of um, really powerful interests and instincts that I have about needing to protect the environment, but also that this can be done in a way that benefits people through taking community development approaches. And so over the years, community development has, has been my, my, my job, my trade. Um, and I've had uh, been very interesting working with Sustaining Dunbar 
I'm developing a whole range of projects that are all about kind of improving the quality of life and meeting kind of people's needs in the community, ranging from kind of creating um, uh, community businesses. We set up a, a community bakery on, on the high street. We now have a zero waste project that kind of upcycles all the things that sort of like we got bored and fed up with. Um, we've got a community garden and over the years there have been many other projects around um, or saving energy, uh, transport projects, car clubs, um, home insulation. So we've done all these things that have made life better for people, but it's always been about enabling people to do things for themselves. So it's not we do things to other people, we allow them or we encourage them, work with them to set things up and then you know, they take it away and um, kind of make a community more connected. So underpinning all of this, uh, is obviously because we're an organization that's about sustainability so it's making a kind of a resilient sustainable community but also all the time what we do is guided and informed by a need to kind of reduce our, our kind of carbon emissions and our environmental footprint. Fairly recently we've been saying to ourselves okay we need to do a, a kind of where are we now and where do we want to be going to and I think, you know, as people who are, are very informed about the environment and, and, and active in that area, we feel this kind of sense of, of real urgency that, you know, we want to step up what we're doing. But how do we go about doing that? Because the ways that we engage with people are, are kind of really, really important. Um, uh, you know, so like sometimes, you know, people kind of know you're an environmentalist and you can see their eyes glaze over or, you know, they think they're just a bunch of old hippies um, or, they maybe feel overwhelmed that it's all too much and besides what can I do anyway what difference can I make um, you know that's a, you know I don't have the power to do that so we have to be very um, very subtle um, in a way in the way in which we we approach these kind of conversations and uh, exploring ideas with people and how they feel about things and you know where they where they feel that they might engage and be able to make a difference and that's what we're, we're all about. Joe spotted an opportunity for a different kind of engagement, a different kind of conversation at the John Muir birthplace, a heritage centre within the town. So when um, we were aware that the John Muir birthplace um, was kind of looking at um, Re revamping their exhibition um, about John Muir and his life and his work and he uh, John Muir as, a, as, as an activist. Um, we were kind of really, really interested in, in that and, and Dunbar, the way that we work, we all kind of know each other. So it's um, the way we do our planning here. Um, so it was a really interesting um, idea that we could um, kind of connect uh, with what they were wanting to explore and perhaps use this as a way of kind of exploring and, and, and inspiring people. So in addition to kind of telling the story about John Muir and you know, his, his life and, and his action and his, his kind of mission, we wanted to really kind of create a portrait of our community. Um, you know, it is a community that has a very particular feel to it and people are really engaged with, with you know, environmental issues and, and community development. Um, and so we thought that the kind of best way of working with, with people is to start with where they're at. Okay, you know, don't tell them, you know, tell them where they're going wrong or, you know, give them impossible tasks, mission impossible. That's not going to work. But actually to look at what people are already doing and doing really well and perhaps kind of getting them to kind of make the connections that 
they're doing is actually building a stronger and a better community. And in all sorts of ways, they are kind of addressing environmental issues as well. So whether that be um, the, the food bank, the Ridge Project, um, the Bellhaven Garden, the community bakery, all of these things are adding to the, the kind of vibrant life of our, our community, but also addressing issues around the environment too. So we are kind of taking an approach about, um, I remember sort of like when I was a dippy hippie, um, this phrase of, of uh, think global, act local was, a, was a, an idea that kind of informed kind of a lot of what people were doing or were doing back then. And so this idea that we look at kind of the overarching issues that we have to address and we look at sort of like how we in our community can address those those issues and those needs and um, make life make life better improve the quality of life in our community. Joe comes from a creative background and so imagination is a natural part of the process but like many myself included she's also found inspiration from Rob Hopkins recent book from what is to what if. You know, Dunbar is a, a transition town, so we've always kind of been aware of Rob Hopkins and his, his work and, and, and his ideas. Um, and then when um, the book, uh, What If, um, Unleashing the Power of the Imagination from What Is to What If, we thought, yeehaw, you know, great. Um, it's a, an interesting thought exercise just to say, what if? And just do that, that you know, blue skies thing. Let's, let's, let's cut and set ourselves free and not because, oh, that will only work because, right, let's just say, what if we did? What if we could? What would happen then? Um, so the idea was, was kind of very, very exciting and, and, and very liberating. And we had a book group and we, you know, we went off in all sorts of wonderful directions. <laughs> you know, all these lovely things that we could do. Um, and we're still holding on to those ideas about, you know, being creative, using the power of the imagination, music, arts, gardening, walking, all the things that we love to do. It's all, it's all out there. In common with many organisations, the focus of work has shifted during lockdown and beyond towards community response and support. Having delivered on resiliency and sustainability for years now, Sustaining Dunbar can see clearly the parallels between the pandemic and the climate crisis. Through the, um, the What If project, we're exploring this, we're taking it to a new level because we're saying, okay, here we are now in this time of, we've, you know, we've been through the pandemic, that's um, been, been, been kind of difficult, awful, draining, grueling for people, but it also presents us with opportunities. And one of the things that we have done is to kind of work with, with organizations, help them to kind of tease out ideas about how they're working, what they need, what would make it better, and to acquire funding for them. So that's an important way that we're kind of bringing the community together and the way that we're kind of looking at, at kind of moving into the, into the future. When you, when you think about these things and the more you think about them, the more you, you kind of come to understand the, the, the connections. It's not just people, it's not just planet. What's good for people is good for the planet. What's good for the planet is good for people. Um, and I think kind of just kind of intuitively, we've, we've kind of always understood that. Um, but the idea that, okay, we have this, this particular agenda. So it is, we are a community development trust. And so, you know, we set about things in particular ways, not doing things to people, doing things with people, um, giving them the tools to be able to 
you know, address the conditions, improve the quality of life, and do it for themselves. That's and have the confidence to, to to do that. And I think that is the basis of a resilient community. And that is increasingly, as we we know that we are heading towards. If we think this is a crisis, well, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so this idea that in working together, we do our own, yeah, we, we hoe our own row, but we're all in this community, we all connect with each other, we share all sorts of things as kind of bonds of, of, of kind of familiarity and, and, and obligation that make it all work. Uh, and so that's what we're, we're really kind of consolidating at this point in time, but that has always been the way in which we've, we've, we've understood this is what works. That practical knowledge and passion for what works is what continues to power the good work in Dunbar. And while there's a determined pragmatism there, more than anything, there's hope and belief in a better way. I hate to keep talking about the, about you know the environmental crisis and you know your your, your heart sinks when you, when you think about it, and I think our way of of uh, of, of of living with that is to um, say positive action is is the way of both acknowledging the scale of the issues and, and what we're going to face but we're being proactive and um, that way you know psychologically for us and for people in our community we're preparing ourselves um, and not in a way of kind of preparing ourselves for the worst we're preparing ourselves for the best because what we want to do is the best we can and there's just kind of so much kind of energy and and um our creativity in our in our community we're very lucky to to have that and to be able to to use that and build on it there must be something in the water in the sunshine it's surely no coincidence that dunbar's most famous son was also a believer in imagining better i'm a big fan of heritage particularly local heritage and how people choose to tell the stories of their own town and history and no trip to dunbar would be complete without hearing more about john muir I spoke to Liz McLean and Duncan Smead from the Friends of John Muir Birthplace to hear more about the man himself and the planned exhibition and community project. John Muir was born in Dunbar in 1838 on April the 21st. And just before he was 11 years old, his father came home one night and said to the children, don't bother doing your homework tonight, children going to America in the morning and essentially the first 10 years of Muir's life helped establish his love of nature and he's written about this in his book Boyhood and Youth and um, and I think in, in many ways Dunbar was the foundation upon which Muir built his love of nature. John Muir's birthplace was purchased by the community and has been open as a visitor attraction since 2003, welcoming over 200,000 visitors since. Now, the Friends actually work to highlight and debate some of the environmental challenges facing us today. Now, previous exhibitions have focused on Muir himself, for example, as a writer or a geologist, but this exhibition is different. We wanted to look at Muir's legacy and his role as an environmental activist and campaigner and his relevance for our situation today. We quickly came to see that in this time of climate crisis and biodiversity loss, Muir had a lot of important things to say. 
For example, he wrote in one of his journals in 1875, pollution, defilement, squalor, are words that never would have been created had men lived conformably to nature. So our original aim for this exhibition was to show how one individual, John Muir, changed the world and how he directly or indirectly influenced others to do the same. The exhibition um, also highlights many of the individuals and organizations which have been inspired by Muir um, to continue this fight to save the natural environment and, and its ecosystems. Um, Muir was determined uh, about this through his lifetime. And he, he, one of his um, well-known sayings or statements is that the battle we have fought for conservation will go on endlessly. It's part of the universal battle between right and wrong. He saw it very much as a, a moral um, question. One of the people that he influenced was the major figure, um, President Roosevelt. And he persuaded Roosevelt on a course of action that resulted in the creation of the national park system. Um, you know, 148 million acres of national park, national forest, five national parks, and lots of national monuments all over America. There were others. Um, Wangari Mathai, the Kenyan founder of the Greenbelt Movement, and she was a 2004 Nobel Peace Prize laureate and a very influential figure. And she said, it's the people who must save the environment. It's the people who must make their leaders change and we cannot be intimidated. So we must stand up for what we believe in. And, and in doing the exhibition, we've been very influenced ourselves in some of these um, really convicted people um, because we feel that's where we are as well. In, in this exhibition, of course, it's not really possible to, to go into detail on all of the amazing people who, who merit attention and who are active today. And we've got David Attenborough and Greta Turnbrook, and they increasingly highlight that we are at a pivotal moment and they are demanding that we act now. The new exhibition, organised with Sustaining Dunbar in the wider community, is called John Muir Earth Planet Universe. So we want the exhibition to show how climate change is directly related to everything, to well-being, to our prosperity, fairness, and our sense of community. Um, and we're focusing particularly on, on our own ward area, people here in Dunbar and East Linton, but also on others across the world. This is a global issue. And we want to explore in the exhibition how to address the challenge of climate emergency, but not to become fixated on the problems and the doom and gloom, but rather to imagine what kind of future we want. And we began to understand how the wide range of community-led activities here in our area, which, which embrace the social and the environmental and the educational and much more, not only make our areas the places they are, but are really essential to their future. And our aim was to showcase these and to make connections between these groups. And we also wanted to map them and have a digital interface. So with the purpose really to inspire others to get involved 
um, to work to bring about the future that we all need. We've, we have got good foundations here to build on. And we, during the exhibition, we looked closely at the um, UN Sustainable Development Goals, the 17 goals, which um, are a universal call to action to end poverty, protect the planet and improve the lives and prospects of everyone everywhere. So we, we really saw this whole area of um, what we wanted to explore as being more than just climate change. It is became clear really it's a matter of global equity and um, we then really have moved into the territory of COVID and since we started out last year in 2019 COVID has changed everything and we haven't been able to produce and install the exhibition as we'd planned at the uh, John Muir's birthplace uh, on the high street we were going to do that in April um, this year but the pandemic also um, has made us stop and reflect a bit about the parallels between climate change and uh, COVID, and they're really both global existential crises. And that became an interesting um, focus for us. At that stage, a lot of the exhibition was actually designed and written, so we couldn't, um, we couldn't change tack completely, but it was important to begin to understand that even though climate change appears to be a slower, more long-term health threat than, than COVID, we, we will need an equally rapid and a much more sustained transformation in our ways of life and in all our structures, economic, political, and social, um, to help prevent irreversible damage to our planet and, and to us. Critical to the appeal of the exhibition and the What If project more broadly is this notion of macro and micro, looking at the big picture, but then zeroing right in to the spaces round about you. So we think the pandemic can help us to understand the ties that bind us on, on a global scale and the fragility of our current economic systems and how vulnerable they leave so many people. This interconnectedness, the impact and consequence, is particularly relevant at this moment, as the pandemic shines a light on every fault line and we talk of rebuilding and recovery. It's been interesting to see how many of the themes being explored in the exhibition are also relevant to COVID-19, which you've already referred to. So, for example, the greater impact of both crises on the poorest and most marginalised people in the world. Both crises present an opportunity to reflect on what is actually important for our well-being and the sort of future we want. And this sort of reminds me of another fantastic Muir quote, the understood this uh, this well and wrote thousands of tired nerve shaken over civilized people are beginning to find out that going to the mountains is going home that wildness is a necessity and that mountain parks and reservations are not only useful as fountains of timber and irrigating rivers but as fountains of life so Muir understood that nature is not a commodity, a warehouse of raw materials for our economic needs, but an essential element of mental health and spiritual nourishment. The pandemic has, has shown us a lot of things and, and a lot of 
people have begun to draw these parallels actually between the sort of future that we want globally and, and locally. So it has all, it's shown us how people and communities can naturally come together very quickly to act for everybody's well-being. There was already a strong sense of community collaboration within Dunbar. The What If project aims to build on that. We're collaborating, it's a saying in Dunbar, um, to ask what if questions to spark people's imaginations for a positive vision for the Dunbar and the Islington Ward area, because that's, that's the area that we relate to, um, in the context of the climate emergency and in the context of the need for this just transition to an equitable community that values well-being for all. The exhibition is just the beginning. And out of this, the What If project has emerged and evolved. And it's journeying towards its goal to inspire a plan of community-led action for Dunbar and its area. So this question of what if has really come out as a result of discussion amongst like-minded individuals. And it was inspired by the Rob Hopkins book, What Is to What If? Unleashing the power of imagination to create the future we want. And actually, that has a relation to John Muir himself, who said, the power of imagination makes us infinite. There's been a lot of um, wonderful writing um, down through time about imagination. And as Duncan says, John Muir believed in the power of the imagination. And one essay I read a long time ago, which came to mind while I was researching for this exhibition, and I just thought I'd add it in here because it's not very well known. Um, Susan Griffiths was an amazing American, is still alive, an amazing American um, feminist, philosopher, author, poet, uh, uh, an all -round, another all-round polymath. But in her um, 2005 essay, To Love the Marigold, she reflects no one can stop us from imagining another kind of future, one which departs from the terrible cataclysm of violent conflict, of hateful divisions, poverty and suffering. Let us begin to imagine the worlds we would like to inhabit, the long lives we will begin to share and the many futures in our hands. So that, for me, was a really um, inspiring and powerful quote because it it's not specific, it covers everything. And I think actually um, it's extremely relevant for us today in, in, in this world. The, the last panel of our exhibition actually um, is called What If? And it asks some of these questions that we want to take forward in groups and um, develop as themes. And they talk, they ask questions about what if we were a good food community? What if we were a good enterprise community? What if we were a good for nature community? What if we were a good energy community and so on? And it, it, it gives us um, a basis then for developing themes and already one of the themes which is developed is um, has created a, a formal group for looking at food, local food in all its aspects. So the whole supply chain from producing it, growing it, cooking it, teaching people how to cook it, eating it, health, nutrition, the whole diversity and the economics of food, which is in itself quite a political matter. 
So, so that is now taking off and um, is being supported by the local area partnership and um, and a wide range of organisations. And it's really exciting to see that develop because it is the outcome of where we started with this exhibition and you know, wondering about um, originally how one individual like Muir um, changed the world and how we as individuals can come together to do the same. Plans for the exhibition have changed for now, but people will still be able to enjoy what's been created as the panels are being installed outdoors in a space provided by the Harbour Trust. We want Dunbar and the local area to be a home to thriving people in a thriving place while respecting the well-being of all people and the health of the whole planet. I think that's the goal for the exhibition. But we hope that people will be able to visit it and they'll be able to read and be inspired to get involved. That's the whole purpose of this exhibition, is actually to inspire people to get more involved. Um, it's in a place where we can all socially distance. It's in a beautiful area, COVID safe. And it's an area where John Muir himself would have explored um, during his boyhood in Dunbar. And, uh, and it feels fitting to do that. So I'll just finish on a quotation of Muir's. Um, which relates to that. And it's one that everybody will know who knows anything about Muir, but it's one that we, we all like here because we live here and we have the privilege and the, the uh, delight of living here in this area um, by the coast. So Muir said, when I was a boy in Scotland, I was fond of everything that was wild. And all my life I've been growing fonder and fonder of wild places and wild creatures. And I think that's... Uh, something we all want to ensure is uh, available to our children, grandchildren and future generations. It was a genuine privilege to chat with and listen to Liz and Duncan, a real meditation on Muir and his relevance today from the streets of Dunbar and out across the world. We should all be listening to how Dunbar and East Linton answer the questions that the What If project's posing and then start asking them of the places where we are. Thanks to Joe McNamara from Sustaining Dunbar. You can read more about their work and the What If project on their website, sustainingdunbar.org, or via their Facebook page. And thank you to Liz McLean and Duncan Smead from the Friends of John Muir's Birthplace. Find out more about their work at muirbirthplacefriends.org.uk. And the exhibition launched earlier this week, and you can now visit online virtually or view the panels at Dunbar Harbour. Thanks for listening to 1000 Better Stories from the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. My virtual visit to Dunbar continues next week, looking at food and fixing things. If there's something happening in your community, be sure to let us know. You can drop me a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk We're on Twitter as well, at scottccan, and on Facebook, just search for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network. In the new year, we'll be running workshops to help you tell and share your story of climate action, so check out the website and sign up for our newsletter to keep up to date. We're going to finish with an excerpt from Called to Wander, a soundscape created by Leslie May Miller, a member of Sustaining Dunbar. The piece is featured in the John Muir birthplace, and you can hear the full piece online via SoundCloud.
murmuring of wood pigeons at the back of my memory. I lay gazing at treetops, waiting to see where the wings would lead me. Childhood paradise. A world of discovery. A childhood paradise. We found our joy on beaches, in woods, in the song of water, tang of sea, taste of wildflowers, touch of seaweed. We collected shells, we collected and, pebbles shells and pebbles full of colour, like the paint box packed in the holiday suitcase, with all the greens of summer. In a fisherman's boat, bouncing round the bass rock, to catch the sound, sight and smell of all the seabirds. What picnics we had on the beach. Surprise carrot sandwiches. Gritty with delight. Gritty with carrot delight. Sandwiches. If the day was grey, if the day was sun-filled, we always swam in the sea, clambered over rocks, built castles in the sand. Time stretched to the horizon. A carnival of willow herb, ragwort, deep and pink deep roses. pink roses. Marum grass holding our childhood together. Wind blowing. Holding our childhood together. I love to wander in the fields, to hear the birds sing, and along the seashore to gaze and wonder at the shells and seaweeds, eels and crabs in the pools and on the rocks, and the tide was low. I remember going down to the castle many times with my friends, and we used to climb all over the castle. Place Very dangerous. I think our parents would have been horrified, although probably not surprised if they'd known how high we used to climb, and we used to climb up the wall and round the, the gun and the magazine. Times and best of all, climb up to the highest the waves on it. of awful storms. Walk around the edges with the cliffs and the sea right below our feet. It was really stupid. Thundering on the black headlands and craggy ruins of the old and dungeons. We even used to go to the top and climb down into the remains of the room that said we used by many times. Climbing down into the dark, cavey parts without any torches. Dodging the tide when it was coming as well underneath the walls. We were always daring each other to go further into the water. And we were enjoying it.